0: We're proud to announce CISO Stories, a new podcast series in partnership with Cybersecurity Collaborative and Cyber Reason. CISO Stories features the candid perspectives and experiences of frontline senior security executives and dives deep into timely security topics. CISO Stories is hosted by Todd Fitzgerald, VP of Cybersecurity Strategy at Cybersecurity Collaborative, and Sam Curry, Chief Product and Security Officer at Cyber Reason. Listen weekly as they speak with extraordinary CISOs by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash csp
1: welcome
0: back everyone to Paul's security weekly do you do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the upcoming shows submit your suggestions for guests we'll take out that blanket we'll cover them right up you can visit securityweekly.com forward slash guests complete that form and we review suggestions on a monthly weekly every now and again sometimes basis In this segment, I would like to welcome Antranig Vartanian, the CEO of Elluria Security. Antranig started his career 10 years ago as a systems administrator and part-time OS developer. After a couple of years in operations, he started working the only security engineer at Armenia's National Computer Emergency Response Team. Tonight, he joins us to discuss how rapid change in Unix-like systems have affected their security state. Antronig, welcome to the show. Hi Paul, how are you? I'm doing great, my friend. And Trinig and I go way back, well, at least as far back as I started advising his company, Ellaria Security. Yes, that's correct. We should probably yes. disclose that. Well,
2: greetings from the other part of the world.
0: Yes. Nice to have you on the show tonight. And how did you get your start in information security?
2: oh that goes uh, uh, way back so uh, I did uh, I was born in Armenia but when we had the war in the 90s here we went to Syria well well, then when the war happened in Syria we came back to Armenia but while I was in Syria I
0: mean people talk about having a rough childhood like based on what you just said like (laughs) those people need to shut up
2: Uh, well, 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 when you are in Syria and there's a lot of sanctions happening, uh, you you follow the mentality of less is more, right? Yeah. And when we had this problem where we, would, we, we didn't have the latest and greatest computer equipment or the best um, internet connection, and most importantly, many things were locked down either by the government, things like Wikipedia, or by companies, for example, Apple's uh, services would not work, even simple things like the App Store. So uh, that's why when you're like a 12-year-old kid, you start learning how to bypass these problems, right? Uh, How can I use a proxy server? to to use some kind of wikipedia pages and how to uh, jailbreak an iphone and talk about it with the community on irc so i could uh, install apps on my iphone so you 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 kind of had to know these things in order to use technology in in these kind of countries hmm. uh, but i think my main kicker was when they started adapting wi-fi in the country and uh, there was no regulation no no security uh, laws or anything and um, uh, reading one thing led to the another, and I discovered something called AirCrack, and uh, mm-hmm. that was my first introduction to Unix and uh, hacking as as a concept and uh, as as a way to, um, to, to 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 survive in 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 a, in a country like that. So uh, I think that was my actual uh, first time interaction with it, with InfoSec itself.
0: And where did you pick up your knowledge of BSD? Because your your platform, I believe, still this day is built on BSD, correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. Our platform is built on BSD. I think so. The, my first uh, interaction with BSD was uh, due to curiosity. So uh, when I when I came to Armenia, uh, I was not planning to have a career in, in computers at all. I was planning on to be a linguist, but. Um, Uh, there was an open source uh, uh, Linux distribution in in Armenia. Basically, the whole concept was it's supposed to be in Armenian. Everything is supposed to be translated because not everyone knows English, et cetera, et cetera. And I found the project. I found a couple of bugs, and um, I I sent them a patch. And the next day, I see that their CEO is is telling me, would you care to have a job here? Hmm. So their system was running Gentoo. Mm. Uh, it was built on top of gentoo and uh, really Ge- gentoo is like, oh, uh, oh, yep it's, <laughs> it's painful it's, it's, uh, it, for me it was fascinating like to be able to tune the computer but now that i look back it's like hours and and even sometimes days spent on just compiling right.
0: stuff yeah. right yeah so it's fascinating uh, for like a few months and then you're like oh yes. good lord yeah yep mm-hmm. first time yeah, i
3: ever went to install gentoo i looked at the install instructions and they were like 13 pages and i'm like yep. nope
1: <laughs> nope
3: <laughs> with red hat or ubuntu i could go click 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 and it we'll would start installing I'm like yep yep
1: <laughs> yep oh come on it's just click 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 wait seven hours what's the big deal okay come on and then you <laughs> have and, and then and then you have
3: 12 more pages of things to do
0: yeah but that's a great learning experience sure. and back on your story Correct. right of, of learning that's how you yep. learn Right.
2: Yep. Well, well, well Gentoo's Portage, their own uh, yeah. compiling and package manager, was, was built on the concept of FreeBSD ports. So that yes, was my first yes, ex- you're experience right. with FreeBSD. Right. And um, I, I had that, that moment of aha when, like, in FreeBSD, I could use both the ports tree to compile whatever I want. Right, except in
0: FreeBSD, needs. it works a higher percentage <laughs> of the time. <laughs> Not all the time, but a much higher percentage than Gentoo, at least yes. in my experience. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Yes, that's correct. But they also had the package stuff, which is basically yes. a PKG install, whatever you right, want. So I was right. like, oh, this is perfect. This is like a very good fit of balance and everything. So I got started with playing with the BSDs. I even had a couple of jobs doing uh, BSD administration and mm. uh, it was
0: pretty much very fun. I miss FreeBSD. I haven't worked with it in, in so long. I did open BSD for a little while too. Mm. Um, my question for you, and I was thinking about this uh, when I saw you were coming on Anthony, was all of the Pretty major now bugs in the Linux kernel. Yes, those uh, the BSD kernel though draws its lineage from code that was produced way before even the Linux kernel was. Right? Do you yes. like what's your general sense? about like have we just not found all the bugs in bsd or is there not as many people looking for them are they looking at linux because it is so widely used now like do we have this microsoft and apple problem like oh i use bsd i can't i can't get viruses right and i use linux and now i can like the tables have kind of kind of turned like how do you see that comparison
2: so, so I was I was listening to your talk with Daniel a moment mm. ago when when he said like the best way to defense is to shut down and mm. and the main reason why I wanted to talk about this is actually uh, when when Dirty Pipe came out what two days ago was it uh,
0: um, yeah very recently
2: a, a friend of mine said I have to I, I have to do something because because like basically now everything is exposed and I have to shut down everything for 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 at least a moment at least and I said why everything and then I realized that. We don't have Unix diversity anymore, right? Some companies, they, they think about these problems very early, and they, they deploy both on, let's say, Linux and FreeBSD. They deploy on, on multiple types of Unixes. So in case a huge vulnerability comes out on one of them, mm-hmm. you can still mitigate by shutting down only your Linux boxes but keeping your FreeBSD boxes up and running. Mm-hmm. But, but from the historical point of view, the... I don't think that FreeBSD doesn't have, like, less bugs. Of course, the number of researchers who look at it are, are much less. But if you look at the security ad- adversary of, of FreeBSDs, their RSS link, uh, there is something happening at least, like, once every every two months. So, uh, and s- most of the times I realize that they publish multiple things at once and one patch, to, uh, w- one patch level to mitigate, let's say, four or five types of uh, mm-hmm. security vulnerabilities. So there are people who are looking. But what would happen if more people would look? I I I'm not sure but the beauty of this in, in the BSD systems is because unlike Linux, it's 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 a it's a whole operating system. It's not just a kernel. It's the right. you kernel. Know, the kernel plus the whole user land tools. Uh, the FreeBSD has the advantage of doing security testing on the operating system. Mm. I think it would it would gain a lot if we were able to improve the FreeBSD project by by doing security testing on the whole operating system with every release, every every git push, and we would see if something went wrong, etc., etc. So that might be one of the advantages of FreeBSD um, if if, if a couple of things were were done better. Um, Mm. So those are my only thoughts on that. But I wish if more people looked at other Unixes as well, I mean, other than the BSDs as well, we have, you know, the Solaris, the Lumos distributions and God knows what.
4: Does does that apply to the containers and stacks that are being built around that? Uh, Because you have kind of the same concept and there's a lot of work going into some of those as well.
2: That's right. I mean, uh, people these days talk about containers like it's a new thing, but then you went, especially when you're, you've are you been running Gentoo for a while, <laughs> you know that, you know, chroot is a thing. Mm-hmm. And then chroot got evolved very, very well in 3BSD jails, which is very mature, very, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's very secure, not because it has vulnerabilities, but... Um, maybe, you know, back to the Paul's point, what if no one actually has looked at it that deep like they do on Linux, right? But um, you, you, know, you have the FreeBSD jails, and then you have the, uh, the Solaris Zones, which came after FreeBSD jails, and then you have things on Linux. But the container system on, on FreeBSD, it sounds uh, more secure in the sense that the code base is a lot smaller. Uh, I, I realize that in Linux, when you, when we talk about containers, it's it's basically an integration of multiple things happening at once, from uh, C groups to to, to namespaces, etc. But but on FreeBSD, the concept of a jail is just a jail. It's basically the the core system itself is you know three to four thousand line of code to 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 make a jail exist. So, so it's simpler, right. it's smaller. So, I, th- I think that that's also has has some kind of an advantage of, of you if you want to use containers, you or basically system isolation. Uh, you're not limited with the Linux stuff like Docker's and everything else, but you can you can also, you can also have the Solaris zones and the FreeBSD jails as well.
0: That's interesting. Now I want to read articles about what the differences are between Docker containers and FreeBSD jails and Solaris zones. I won't make it go into detail here, Anthony, yep. but. I think it's a good it's a it's a good exercise yeah i haven't been focused on docker containers right myself
4: so is is there a lot of advantage like someone that is not typically looking at or running something like freebsd or, or even linux at this point like what are some of the advantages and kind of where is the state of security for the unix world for for those of us that kind of maintain our are dwelling with inside of the, the Windows world or Active Directory world? Like wh- What kind of stuff is out there? What kind of security is going on? And, and what kind of advantages are, are there?
2: Oh, um, I've realized lately that ransomware is a thing. Everyone is talking about ransomware. And uh, even here in Armenia, I mean, as a security company, we, we get calls every week about some cheese factor that got ransomware. Uh, and and they want some assistance, and then then they oh, ask them, But if okay, you haven't yeah.
0: had Armenian string cheese, you haven't really oh. had it yet. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, is it peppercorns? What is it? There's like a little. No, no,
1: no. It's no, um, it's not uh, peppercorns. Is it? It's oh, it's delicious. It. Nigella, nigella seeds. Oh, so good. Yes,
2: yes.
0: Anyway, uh, sorry. We, we do sorry. have a
2: very famous cuisine. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so, my wife's so, family so, yeah, you, is Armenian,
1: you, and so I get fed Monty. And uh, oh. my, my, my mother in law had to take a pilaf test before my father in law would marry her.
2: Wow, wow, okay, that's that's uh, wait, screw all of the security stuff. Yeah, so, <laughs> so like, how it, it was sound, the pilaf? It pilaf like, oh, the I just gotta make dogmas. some rice, but
0: just making rice pilaf no. is, is different. No, you have to fry the you gotta brown you to those, but
1: you can't burn them. It's very, yes. Yeah, you have to fry the noodles in the noodles in butter and like yeah, yes, yeah uh, yes. and like her pilaf is fantastic. By the way,
4: see now now I feel like we need Chris on. Chris is the one that's always eating, not you.
1: Chris is the foodie. Yes, he's,
0: he's, he's the food guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh my! So uh, what we so, so oh, he, he, A cheese factory uh, got ransomware in Armenia. That's the guy that's yep. on this
1: whole <laughs>
0: this whole path. And that was just a hypothetical. We're not saying that really happened either. Yeah.
2: Uh, So they got ransomware, and, you know, a typical question, you say, well, maybe I can help you with the recovery part, at least. And you say, where's the backup? And their answer is, it was on the server itself. Very typical scenario. Um, And then you teach them how to uh, use a backup server. And then a couple of months pass, and they call you again, and they say, well, we got ransomware. But now the backup server got ransomware because they forgot to update something.
0: Oh, wait, was this this also the cognac factory? Is that why I haven't got my bottle of Armenian cognac yet? Because they got... Ransomware? If or you is haven't that
2: just got your Tyler- Armenian <laughs> cognac, then you have to ask
0: Tyler. He's yeah. got your Armenian... Is that because Tyler drank, drank the- it all on me?
3: <laughs> he drank it on the plane ride home. He didn't even, right, do- yeah. didn't even make it to the States. I
4: made, it- I made it back to the States with it.
0: <laughs> yep. has it made its way here. Just saying. Never will. Throw that out there. <laughs> Never will. <laughs> Little inside baseball. <laughs> Uh, then they to what are we talking about? We're talking about ransomware.
3: Server got ransomware because they didn't patch something. Yeah. And their backups, so, so got ransomware. then
2: yeah. uh, uh, what I realized is is um, if they used a so most of these attacks happen on the on the OS layer, right? Right. If if you look in their code, they open the file, they encrypted, they close. At very little of time that they use any kind of file system specific uh, <laughs> uh, actions. So what I thought is uh, this is a perfect scenario to use a, a complex file system like ZFS or BetterFS. And one of the benefits in the Unix world is now ZFS has got first-class citizenship in almost every operating system. Uh, the Linuxes, the FreeBSDs, and the Illumos where it was born uh, historically. So I think uh, from a security perspective, it's very it would be very good advice to tell people that um, while some people are focusing on the recovery and the prevention of round, ransomware attacks. On the other hand, you also have the the mitigation mechanism in the sense that if if your data got corrupted, you can use something like ZFS and BitRefs just to revert back to the last thing that you had. And then one of the main reasons why people, especially in low-budget countries, like someplace like Armenia, why they don't have a backup server, uh, because it's expensive. Like, it, it might be 80 bucks in the States to buy the disk, but it's also 80 bucks in Armenia to buy the disk. But the 80 bucks has different values here and there. Mm. Um, So then I realized that if we had a file system who has a very good way to to back up the data something like time machine on mac os mm-hmm. for, for for a typical user you know where, where it can do copy and writes etc um zfs is a perfect fit for that and and uh, many people uh, who love FreeBSD they do use zfs many people who love zfs they do use zfs but you, we have to also uh, bring awareness to the typical it department that you need something even out of the box like free NAS. To back up all of your information, mm. and uh, we've had this problem a lot. Um, and I, I think to answer but that, this that question, backup like needs this, to be
0: one way, but you don't want to overwrite your backups with the encrypted data yes. as well, right? So there needs to be yes. some kind of snapshotting that is protected. It is, protected,
2: snapshot. it is snapshotting,
0: but you have to protect that right so that it can't get overwritten with the like. If it's constantly backing up, at some point you're going to overwrite that with the encrypted data.
2: Uh, so what? What, what, that's one of the things I do like about ZFS is uh, I have to ask, is it ZFS or ZFS?
0: ZFS. I'd yeah, I I go, dep- go with ZFS.
3: De- depending on where you are on the planet, whether they call it a Z or a Z, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. So uh, you came, I you go came with Z. 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 Go with Z. Yeah, sounds Z. better. Yeah, Z.
2: Uh, so, so with ZFS because you can you can back up and you can back up and do snapshotting at the same time basically you're you're sending the, your snapshots back and forth and um, if, if your if your latest snapshot was encrypted but the one before that was unencrypted you can also revert back to that mm-hmm. and and that's one of the key points that uh, we've actually had a, a success story maybe I could say. Uh, for a friend that I was uh, helping out in his in his uh, company and we've set up the small box and uh, uh, I taught them you know basically use the smb folder for all of your documents and um, uh, the the smb over you know uh, the network and and what happened in the end is uh, they did get encrypted via ransomware maybe a couple of months later but uh, he called me immediately and I told him, okay shut down everything because we don't know how they got in all you care about right now is your data. Go to your free NAS machine and type the following command, which is you know zfs restore blah, and you're done. Now you have got all of your data back. Now let's try focusing on how to find mm. the problem. How did they get in? Was it some kind of um, malware in the network, or did someone click on something? That, that's a different problem that we right, need to solve. Right. But uh, to okay. answer Tyler's question specifically, is is this uh, innovations happening in in the Unix? world that can assist out the, the world outside of Unix. ZFS is, is a huge uh, advantage. And uh, I realized lately that ZFS is also available on Windows. Uh, it's not uh, feature complete, but the basics of it are. So maybe even people who are running uh, Windows servers can can use ZFS.
5: Hmm. So, Lee? So I, I have a question for you. I mean, you're you're using technology to to solve human problems as well as technical problems, and it sounds like you've answered these questions multiple times. Have you considered putting together a blog or other? You know, hey, these are the ten things you've really got to do before you call me.
2: Um, the, well, I do have a blog. Uh, the Armenian one is 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 very active, uh, is is obviously, but uh, the English one, I. I basically complain in the English one instead of writing advice <laughs> on the English one. I know I complained about Unix portability and, and things like that. And, but uh um, maybe that's a good idea. And if I had to write about 10 things, I th- I think for the typical IT department, you know, backup restore is the first thing. But uh, at the same time, I think doing proper backup restore is the other question because if you have right. a you know it's the schorzinger's restored that you never know is restorable until you try to so so that, that that might be one of the first key points right um, but on the second hand um, i'm i'm trying to think that w- with most of the problems that i'm seeing on this part of the world also in you know, a production servers being hacked that are running unix um, mm-hmm. I don't know how IT departments are there, but does everyone still disable S-Linux? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think there's a lot sometimes. of um, entry. Oh, you lost the light. Oh, it's, oh, it's the automated
2: lighting. I wasn't moving enough. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: gotcha. Um, I think there's a lot of subsystems and security controls in Linux that some of which depending on your Linux distribution might be there or configured, you know, they're there and configured in a specific way. Some are turned on yeah. by default or not, uh, you know, set comp and, uh, Linux capabilities are ones that come to mm-hmm. mind from, you know, working with containers and, and things of that nature. So there are controls like that, but I feel like in Linux, they're tuned. If you run Ubuntu, they're t- tuned in a certain way. Yeah. To allow things to operate, not necessarily like lock everything down, and yeah. I have to go turn it on to make it work, yeah. because then people would move from Ubuntu to some other distribution. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I think I, is my I, is my theory. I
3: think anyway. maybe that was a little bit of a joke that got lost. And I don't think that you know, in my experience, many people actually disable SE Linux. I think default tunes yeah are workable enough that no one needs to turn to it go off and anymore. Mock with it. Yeah. So it's you might and the default tunes for the most part might as well be turned off. It's not doing a whole hell of a lot.
5: So do you do you find a willingness for folks to to learn how to raise the security bar, or are they just overwhelmed and just can't get much past clicking install or turn rebooting?
2: Um so, so what I've realized is is with things that are Created to make systems more secure, and this is a typical mm-hmm. problem. Obviously, you know, do you want better security or easier use? But a uh, cu- couple of months ago, I-, I started using my MacBook again, and uh, and this time I said, okay, I'm going to use it the Apple way, so I don't complain anymore on my blog. Uh, And I started also reading logs on on how my MacBook actually does work. Uh, then I realized Mm -hmm. that um, Apple's macOS uses FreeBSD's Audit D and and the mandatory access control subsystem internally Mm -hmm. whenever you click, you know, allow permission for this and that. And uh, I've never had a usage problem because all I see is just a small window that says yes or no, you know, allow or deny. So it got me uh, thinking that maybe in outside of the desktop world, we're doing things wrong. Uh, why can't we do the same thing there? Like, okay, Apache is trying to do something to open a directory. Maybe you got hacked. There's a vulnerability. You have an RC in your application, or, or maybe you just have bad configuration. It's up. It's up for you to know. But we need a way to just give a simple way for users to to understand that they have a problem Uh, which is basically my philosophy you know at at our company which is whatever you do prevention is going to be very hard just do deception and detection is dead it it could be at the end of the day a lot easier and cheaper for you than actually fine tuning all of those systems Uh, but i wish we we did live in a world where you could just say yes allow apache to access this file or not Uh, because if, if apple could do it but of course they do have a lot of money, uh, but they did implement these things a long time ago. I, I went up to their source code and I think it was like 10.6 or something, which is like 10-12 years ago at this point. So it, it got me thinking that we don't have the simple, the simple mechanism to tell the user what's happening. While I look at my friends' companies, they see something is not working, the log says it's Linux blocking the access of something, next thing they do is disable Linux or whatever security feature that they have. I think app app guard app armor the app armor right mm-hmm. on ubuntu
5: these things mm-hmm.
0: I know because I, I had to turn that off <laughs> 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 so uh-huh. things can actually be vulnerable right you get a default app yes. armor profile that, that docker containers implement and so if you want to yeah. make things uh-huh. less secure right you got to go start mucking with that uh, with that stuff it's interesting though and if we could like anytime you define these very stringent policies, there's always exceptions. And then the default tends to be more open than it should be. And even mm-hmm. if you take the time to tune them yourself, then a situation is going to arise where you have to tune them again. So basically we're incurring much more maintenance. And I guess my question is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Do we put these strict policies in place knowing it's going to be a constant cycle of tuning them? Is that more secure or less secure? I, you could almost debate it.
2: What, 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 I, I think I well, OpenBSD, which is very famous for being, you know, for security and for the paranoid people. I uh, installed their latest version a couple of days ago to see what's happening there. And um, I, I've always used Firefox on it, but I, I ended up needing Chromium. So I download Chromium, I install Chromium, um, I use Chromium. Then I realized something: they implemented the Chromium, new... Chromium
0: crashes. It definitely it doesn't.
2: But, but I will Lin- let you know while, it crashes. When, it, when it crashed.
0: Yeah, I, try, I tried on Linux, and it crashes a lot.
2: <laughs> so, so, so I look at Chromium, and um, I need to upload a file or something. Then I realize that Chromium is only able to see two directories. Mm. The downloads directory to download something, And the .config Chromium directory for its own configuration. And basically what OpenBSD people said is, if you're using Chromium, these are the only two directories. Don't try to do anything else. I ended up using the command line in Finder or whatever it is to select the file in TMP. And at that point, Chromium crashed, which got me into searching of what's happening. Um, but then I talked with the community and they said, well, this is good. Like We know we have this security mechanism because we patch Chromium, we add the system call that we need. So it will never be able to see anywhere else. But that also means that it will not be able to see anywhere else. And we have to bind by the rules that OpenBSD is using to, to, to look into to, to, to use Chromium. And um, I asked a couple of friends here and there, you have the two types of the specter always, always. One of them are saying, no, I need to have full control. I have to decide with what to do. And the other one says, well, if it's going to make me more secure, I'll just end up doing whatever the vendor is telling me, you know, whether being free BSD, open BSD, or any kind of distribution. So uh, my personal point of view is obviously the more secure one. I would prefer to have a little bit of, a little bit of more pain, but know that this system call is going to crash, a vulnerable application that is doing something it's not supposed to do. Instead of looking, you know, the more liberal way of I can do whatever I want, but that also means that maybe one day an attacker can do whatever they want, right? Um, so it's a typical division, but it's a good thing to see these kind of innovations in, in, in system calls and, and, and uh, mitigation mechanisms in, in Unix systems outside of Linux as well. And it's, it's a good thing that we can learn from each other. Uh, SecComp is very similar. But it's not as easy as uh, OpenBSD's latest SIM call. I think it's Pledge. No, it wasn't Pledge. It was not other one. Yeah, no, the I problem is these
0: the these technologies combine. On, so you got your SE Linux on top of SecComp, on top of AppArmor. Mm-hmm. It's like all these mm-hmm. layers. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It makes mm-hmm. things
0: even more confusing.
1: And they just don't work when you layer them that heavy.
0: Well, then you end up just scaling back all the policies to make it work. <laughs> and then yeah. that feeds the purpose, right?
1: Right. Well, that's the point. I mean, look, you've got a security versus usability conundrum in everything we do. Mm. When you add on App Armor and se Linux and don't let anything work Linux or whatever the hell it is, <clears throat> it's 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 going to break so badly that somebody's going to go, just turn it all off. I mean, let's be honest. A, uh, any Any is a legitimate firewall rule. Doesn't do much firewalling, but it is a legitimate <laughs> firewall rule.
3: Yep, and everything works. <laughs>
1: Amazing, Speaking isn't of, it? Um, Including the bad guy stuff. It works just perfectly. Yeah. Is, is so, the open BSD
4: and the, the free BSD and the use cases for those, are those often well used and a good situation for things like firewalls or appliances that may not often get patched or may have uh, kind of a different, less hardened OS or, or software layer that could be abstracted better with something like uh, BSD?
2: So, uh, I think yes. Uh, I don't remember which year it was. I think it was 2018 when there was a vulnerability of do- of not, not DOSing. It was some critical vulnerability in, in Nginx, which allowed you to read any file that you wanted as long as it was in the, in the, in the directory of, of, of the server config and um, i tried that that vulnerability with a vulnerable nginx version and that uh, the exploit and whatever i found and it worked perfectly on linux and as a matter of fact it also worked perfectly on uh, FreeBSD. Uh, but then i tried the same thing on openbsd and uh, something called hardened bsd many people have not heard of hardened bsd it's basically FreeBSD with a lot of hardening features on the compiler and the os level like very striped uh, strict uh, address layout randomization, um, et cetera, et cetera. And when I did run that exploit there, it didn't work. Of course, it got dosed, like it crashed. The Nginx process basically just died. Uh, then, you know, it restarted itself. Uh, but I think those are very legitimate, legitimate uses if if you want to have a more secure, but also, you know, more painful environment um, for, for, for any kind of appliances. Mm-hmm. For me, from the security perspective, um, what I've always liked is to use the PF firewall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very famous. You know, you have open OpenSense. Many people deploy the firewall on OpenBSD itself. And the mm-hmm. reason why I, w- I always got, you know, close to it is because it's human, like, You don't type IP tables dash J dash O dash whatever it is, and then maybe you miss something. Instead, you say allow from this to that. And uh, teaching a couple of my friends how to use this firewall, for them it got very, very... Uh, interesting. Now they spend uh, at least an hour when they're configuring the firewall, but they will make sure that they are configuring it very, very properly. I think Linux has an abstraction for that, right, Paul? I think it's, it's like the UFW user firewall yes. or something? Yes. Ubuntu firewall? Yes.
0: Cause I, and I think the major difference is the, the chaining and forwarding rules. Mm-hmm. That, yes. That's yes. what makes that's IP true. tables. I think it's really powerful it, to have that, but it can also be really error prone and difficult to troubleshoot or modify, especially was in a situation where there was IP tables and multiple chains were called different things and forwarding to each other and to like unravel all of that uh, hurt my brain. And I eventually figured it out, but you're right, there's better, like more straight, it seems to me PF and uh, UFW are more straightforward, here are my rule kind of things. But great power in in the IP table so it's somewhat of a trade-off in the, the problem you're trying to solve I think for your like my a lot of my firewalls are PF sense because it's no nonsense it's firewall and they've abstracted a lot of that into the the GUI you still get a command line if you want right but it works really well as a firewall so I guess I do run BSD on my firewalls <laughs> of course yes.
2: Well, I mean, it, it's pretty famous operating system. It's, it doesn't get much media attention. But on the other hand, like Netflix's CDNs, they all run FreeBSD. Uh, they're, I think they're doing now like 400 gigabits per second uh, uh, streaming using those CDN servers that they,
0: that yeah. they run. And and, so uh, my my always kind of thinking on that, Antroning, was that in the BSD kernels and operating systems, the TCP IP stack is just wildly performant. Like it's just... Mm-hmm. It's a well-oiled machine. Linux, you can run into some funky stuff. You might have to do some tuning and stuff like that. But a lot of those higher-end things you're talking about, right, that have to process a lot of traffic, end up using BSD under the hood for that reason. sounds like that's still the case.
2: It's still the case. And uh, we've had scenarios when we did a couple of benchmarking for our... Um, for our well, I was I was a CTO at a SaaS company for uh, the domain names, selling stuff, and uh, it happened that you know at some points of the month, many traffic was coming from China because apparently they buy domains with like only numbers. It's a thing there. Uh, because they don't use letters, instead they use the the, the hieroglyphs. Instead they use the numbers to represent the hieroglyphs. And like one day of each month, there's a huge traffic coming in, and the servers were just running uh, dying. Basically, what I ended up doing is just migrate a couple of things to pre-BSD, tuning a couple of CCTLs, and next thing you know, the it's the, we're paying the same VM price on the cloud, but uh, now the CPU is on fifty percent idle, and everything is being. Um, served very fine. And uh, they, they don't have a very good TCP IP stack. And of course, it originated there. I think that's one of the main reasons. They know the whole historical thing. I mean, TCP IP was created on the BSD OS back from uh, the university days, and then it got more wide stream. I've never seen the old days because apparently there's something called like Apple Talk and multiple other protocols. I never had the luck to see them.
0: A- um, Apple Talk but, was, but, was a thing. So it was net net talk. What was no in Novel? Uh, Novel there was there was like bridges to Novel. Oh I mean
5: we could I am yeah.
1: not going back to my Novel <laughs> days. And yes, I am a CNA or CNE. I forget what I was back then. <laughs>
5: yeah. Oh, come on. You haven't lived till you did the 3com stack <laughs> with 17,003 drivers to make it all work.
1: Oh, um, yeah. Oh, wait, wait. I've got two words that'll make you cringe. Token Ray ring. And vines. Oh, yeah. That oh. was another one. Oof.
5: I think Josh just won the internet again.
1: Yeah, I was going to say decknet, <laughs> but I think, yeah.
5: Yeah. FTDI. Oh, yeah. Fiddy. Fitty. Um, well, oh, how about, how about SNA over IP? Oh, I
0: remember seeing references to that. I don't know if I ever did that. Um, I want to come back and talk Advising. about uh, containers. Because I do a lot of container stuff, and it's mostly linux running docker with docker linux containers how does that translate to bsd and what's your recommendation for how to use that if you're going to mix and are there like security like should i use bsd as my host operating system and can i have linux containers do i use Mm -hmm. jails instead of containers like Mm -hmm. I, i want to hear your thoughts on that
2: so, so uh, I always bring this very uh, simple analogy of um, containers on Linux, especially, especially Docker, were built at the DevOps era, where FreeBSD jails was built and created at the sysadmin era. Mm-hmm. Because the jails themselves, they just allow you to isolate the system into multiple parts, okay? Um, the, the main purpose why it's so was wait, created... So, uh, so, uh, Trine-
0: Jails are more for process isolation and control yes. what a process can do on your BSD yes. system. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the, con- the actual containers, purpose... Containers are more about the application, making an application yep. work. Did I, I think yes. I captured that. That's the way I understand yes. it. Okay.
2: But, but, uh, so we do this hack if we want to run a container in, in jail uh, uh, or a jail as a container is that yeah. the process that it runs is the init system. Yeah, okay. Then yep. the, everything so you like, after you the like BSD, BSD so much, general.
0: you can run BSD with inside BSD in a jail. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes, uh, and, and, and it works fine. Many people, that's how they isolate complete operating systems in, in mm. the GL system. Uh, but uh, FreeBSD also has this thing, which is the Linux KPI, right? The, uh, the kernel uh, programming interface is implemented inside FreeBSD as a translation layer. So we know this Linux system call translates to that mm. FreeBSD system call. And this has allowed people, uh, including me, actually, to run Linux processes Um inside FreeBSD, whether be it be in a jail or not. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do have a couple of uh, applications in my home server where I run uh, some kind of, let's say, in a software, mostly proprietary stuff that are not available mm-hmm. to be ran on, on FreeBSD, but they, they do give the proprietary binary for Linux, and I just run them, them very fine, which is a good way for me to watch Netflix because I need uh, Wave something for DRM, which mm-hmm. is available in Chrome, on um, on Linux, but there's no Chrome for FreeBSD, so I just run Chrome that is built for Linux on FreeBSD. But my biggest oh, concern nice. with yes, yes, yeah, but and, that, and, and that can be wonky. A I mean, we, we've
0: all seen systems like that where your processing system calls in that way can get wonky.
2: Yes, and that's my biggest uh, concern. Is now FreeBSD is also running drivers that way because we mm. don't have enough manpower to, you know, implement all, all the, the drivers, graphics right. drivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is good. The mainstreamness of Linux is is bringing us a lot of value uh, to to run graphics drivers, etc. But uh, then you know, it's built for that, not built for this. Sometimes the code can get very ugly. Uh, but again, the community is doing the best that they can. Uh, but my biggest problem with all of this Docker thing, which again I love Docker in the sense. Um, I think there was a quote from Brian Cantrell where he said, Docker will do to apt what apt did to tar, right? In, in the old days, you download a tar, then you find the dependencies, yeah. then you yeah. bring the dependencies, then you compile that, then you have apt. Now apt still uses tar underneath, but it does everything for you. And now you have Docker, which is basically replacing apt. But the problem here started with, well, two things. We are not writing portable programs. So when mm. when you tell someone it's uh, when someone someone tells me my application is 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 portable, I'm like, what do you mean? And he says or they say that well, it runs both on Ubuntu and CentOS. I'm like, that's not portable. It's the same operating system. It's just yeah, Linux. D- you know? Yeah, but,
0: that is well. Now you get into the major difference, I think, between something like a FreeBSD and Linux uh, distributions. Is that every mm-hmm. linux distribution is different and packaging this is something linus torvald said that the biggest thing that is killing application development and i'll extend that i don't think he said this but i'll say killing linux on the desktop is if you make an application you can't just make it for like one linux distribution anyway, you've got to package yes. it differently and it's all different for all the different yep. distributions yep. right whereas for yep. freebsd it's a much I I can make my package work for FreeBSD, and it works, and it's great, yes. right? But now it's Ubuntu, it's Gen2, it's you know all these new Linux distributions. They they come out all the time. Some of them are really mm-hmm. good, um, yeah, and, and are doing great things. But that interoperability, I think, gets lost.
2: My family never used Windows because I was able to just give them. I think Mate Linux was it? Yep,
0: yep, yeah, Mate, and Linux. and they're like
2: this is all fine. Thank you very much. I can use everything here. I have my browser, my Skype, whatever it is, and they, they never needed a Windows system, which, yes, some, some desktops on Linux are good. But there's also a... Uh, a project named AppImage, ever heard of that? It's it's made by Simon. Uh, his username is Pro Bono D. Uh, he made this amazing facility called AppImage, which is basically you can turn any Linux application, and he also lately added also FreeBSD support, any any application at this point, into, into a, like a static folder, like .app on macOS. You can just bundle anything right. that you want, put mm-hmm. it on any Unix and Linux that you want, and just run it.
0: Yeah. I think I did re- read an article about that. But it's so, again but another, another packaging system, right? Do you use Snap? Do you use app? Do you um, yeah,
2: app image? Mean, pack or something, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, like I think the open source is a beautiful thing, right? But we the, the kind of uh, double-edged sword is mm-hmm. that interoperability, which also it hurts security too. Do I secure this application how? Because how is it running? How is it packaged? I think that's some of the promise of docker is that i can put mm-hmm. it inside of a container and secure it inside that mm-hmm. container the problem with docker is that you can screw it up by how you run that container and you can throw all that security all oh, dash dash privileged and now you just throw all security right out the window
2: that's why other problem with Docker. Is like we've spent twenty something years making Unix Unix like systems better, so you don't run Nginx Unix as root, you don't run right. a binary as root, you run them appropriately. But then Docker came, and uh, now you're running everything as root, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe you you should not run everything as root. But then some no. person no. who's having a problem because it can't <laughs> listen on port eighty one now your Node.js application is running as root again, mm-hmm. so the it's 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 wonderful where the devops culture moved the unix-like systems to but i think we should not forget about the history of why we did some things we yeah. have to always remember oh we did this because of that security purpose that usability purpose that portability purpose and uh, bringing back the trying to bring back portability, like there's a nice uh, effort going right now on making FreeBSD jails OSI compliant,
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so you can run it, you know, back back and forth. Because with that kind of uh, uh, accessibility, it will also teach us to test things better and and debug things better and and bring the tooling of other th- systems into your own application. But I hope that we will get to a day where we say, okay, this is the new POSIX, right? This is, that's the old POSIX of system calls. This is the new POSIX of the modern DevOps world. And now we can all run our, our, regardless of our operating system, everything with this set of features and everyone will be happy. And hopefully everyone will be secure as well. Uh, So I, I think history has a good class here. I'm, I'm very nos- nostalgic because my first Unix system that I saw but never knew what it was was a Sun workstation from 90s in our school that was just, you know, being uh, seen as a garbage. And then to see how the same commands on my Aircrack uh, image running on my laptop and running the same commands on the on school is like, oh, this is amazing. But then people wanted to change things. Instead, instead of making ifconfig better, now we're making a new tool called IP. Uh, instead of making security better, now we're rethinking security all over again on, on Unix-like systems, especially, specifically on Linux. But, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think some better standardization is in order, right? And we can already, you can kind of see some of the benefits. So, like, I had some containers, they were running Debian cluster, Which is older. I'm like, I need to upgrade them. So I'm like, all right, just swap out that from line in my containers to Ubuntu 20.04. Like, what could go wrong? And I was totally expecting like shit to blow up and go sideways. I was like, you know, even like our CTO was like, You're you're really brave. I'm like, wait, let me finish. Like, I did that totally expecting like shit to go sideways and like magically everything just kind of (laughs) worked. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Wow, if we can get to this place, whether you're BSD or Linux, maybe even independent of that and be able to update things and push forward without having to go back and like replumb everything, we've made some real progress. And I think that's what you're kind of hinting at, uh, Antronick, right, is is being able to have the interoperability to to run applications and processes and not so much care about what's underneath all the libraries that are linked to it. Like it just runs continually upgrading and, and running.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, The the abstraction layer that we've created is is fascinating. Everything from Docker down to uh, up to Kubernetes and the whole cloud thing. Uh, Sometimes I feel like that people didn't ask for abstractions, they actually asked for automation right? instead of abstractions. Uh, Because sometimes when you add more abstraction layers, you start forgetting what's happening underneath. Uh, game developers have this um, uh, debate, basically, is it like, okay, now we have all of these engines that we're using, but we don't know how to write engines anymore. And mm. apparently no one knows how to write engines anymore. Very few people do. How are we going to you know, do evolution there? And uh, uh, the more maybe we go to the cloud, to the Docker, we forget how an operating system works and the innovation becomes less. But those innovations is what brought us here in the first place. So we're, we're, we're always in this fight as a system engineer between automation and abstraction. Which one do you want to give the user the ability to? Um, and, uh, well, I always end up be, being more automation kind of person, but I think the, the the ideal scenario is having the balance in both where you can see what's happening underneath because some things were automated instead of being abstracted. Right. and And that uh beauty can give you the interrupt interrupt interoperability interoperability yeah
0: i struggle with that word too anthony yeah but and (laughs) but i think it's interesting like i think it depends on the team right but you still want teams Mm -hmm. focused on the operations and infrastructure in that abstraction because i mean yeah developers can create a docker file right some will create it pretty crappily some will do a really good job of it right but i think as you scale and grow uh and also to support the infrastructure you want to have people that are focused on that abstraction layer making sure that it's interoperable that it's secure and allowing your developers to focus on like maybe developers shouldn't really have to define the docker file to that level of granularity right let them focus more on the the software and the code aspect of it and less on that. And I think that's going to so vary. That, it's going to vary between teams, right? Where's your expertise? That, lie?
4: Is that abstraction or is that automation? Are we abstracting the security from them or are we automating the security? Where, yeah, I think it's, both. Yeah, they're going to make a file, uh, but yeah, they, they don't consider security because it's not r- really a thing. One of the, the big, I think one of the biggest things that I see, like you're, you're spot on, Antronegg, is the the circling back and remembering the roots and remembering why we didn't, why we do things and not losing some of those skills and visibility pieces. But we also are losing, like with this automation and abstraction, both sides of this, we really have to consider like, how are we doing good security in containers? How are we getting the visibility? How are we doing good logging? Like, all the things, like, we've got the securing, and that's one of the things I see around, like, Linux and and even BSD is, like, we can secure this. We can harden this device, and we've got this very good platform and stack, and it's optimized. Or we can run everything as root. Or we can run everything (laughs) as root. But we also don't have any standardized visibility. Like, you look at, you know, between EDR and XDR and all of the threat platforms and cloud security and heuristics and log monitoring and ingestion, all those things are pretty well exclusive to Windows outside of stuff like OS Query and, and some of the others. But for the most part, when you're talking about how you're getting that visibility, this is not the first thought that people are doing, which is why I think your, your company doing the deception and getting some of that visibility for BSD, Linux, Unix-like operating systems and the Windows side those are key points that we have to keep in mind as we're trying to secure this stuff it's one thing to secure it's another to secure verify and have that visibility as well
2: um so putting our company's product uh, deception thing aside uh, i think the visibility in linux is getting very good because uh, for years this problem has been solved in solaris and they had this amazing technology called D trace, which is dynamic tracing, which is you tell the operating system what you want to see and how you want to see it. Uh, and it will tell you. That's it. It will tell you. Um, but Linux lacked this. We had simple things like S-Trace mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, maybe ltrace for tracing libraries. But to know specifically which process is doing what and doing that in a very lightweight manner that it doesn't affect your production, we didn't have that for a long time. But then came EBPF, which is yes. Extended Berkeley Packet Filter, which has nothing to do with Correct. Berkeley or packet or filter. It just... It's Not terribly named, named. it's Stitch, terribly right? named,
0: but you're right. It's D trace for Linux. Yep.
2: Yes, it's basically D trace for Linux. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think with the B- eBPF becoming more ha- gaining more support and, and I mean FreeBSD always had D trace. Uh, but with EBPF happening on Linux, I think this is a very good opportunity to see what's happening in your system in a proper way. Now the the, the sad side of it is, which is also a problem in, in D Trace as well, is you need to have a very good amount of knowledge to yes. know what you're doing. To it's not something that you output. can say, yeah, run.
0: Yeah. Right. I'd, I'd like it to be more user friendly in that you don't need to have studied ebpf or dtrace and mm-hmm. system calls down to that level. That you could run a container and it would be an easier message to go. Yeah, dummy, you 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 need this level of privilege to run that. And like, don't make the whole container root. Like, you just need to allow this one system call. Uh, y- you know, with um app armor or whatever it is. um what do they call that, capabilities, Linux capabilities, like just allow this and that'll allow it to work, right? Instead, you get these really weird errors that you don't know what it means and you Google search them and someone makes a Stack Overflow post and you're like, oh, Mm -hmm. I just put dash dash privilege in my container and it works and that's my solution. (laughs) Does
4: that that also have the ability to like filter and and provide good visibility around like IOCs and build rule cases around... Uh, yeah. Known bad and, and heuristics that you know things that should not be happening. Like that's yeah. really the hard part for me. Coming from the Windows side, is I can I know what's evil on Windows and I can pretty well go find it. It's a little bit more difficult for me to do that on on a Unix-based system just because I'm not as familiar.
2: So uh, what I ended up doing is, uh, is someone asked me, like, can you can you put this uh, machine in a very hardened mode? And, uh, well, for me, hardening has, has three aspects. One of them is prevention, your typical stuff from firewalls and isolation. And uh, the next one is mitigation. Basically, everything that you can mitigate from, you know, address of memory down to uh, uh, what kind of privileges does a user have preferably and then the last part is of course visibility and uh, on the visibility part what we ended up doing is we know which processes need what for example a a typical process would never need to see etc password right a pam would need that Mm. right but or your nis if you're that old uh, which they happen to be uh, but but your typical process would not so what we can do is we can tell ebpf Tell me any process that's trying to open or stat or read uh, the ETC password file. We have just a small process that's just checking for that. And then we have a small process checking for uh, what what our process is opening. For example, we know PostgreSQL will need to check its own di- directory and a couple of other system files and nothing else. So we do, okay, whenever this process looks for anything else, let me know. And it, it takes a long, a, long, a long time. I think it took us like maybe two weeks just to figure out what each process should be doing. And then we ended up writing the reverse rules. Okay, we know what they're supposed to do. Now we write rules that, that tells us in a JSON, in a beautiful JSON format that this is what they are not supposed to do. And, and log, log it if you see something happening. So it takes time and knowledge. Uh, but this also comes back to the point of abstraction automation. Maybe creating a simple... In FreeBSD, we do have that. Dtrace is hard, but we have a tool called the dwatch, where you can say dwatch open. So any process that opens anything from a socket, a file descriptor, anything, you will be able to see it. So uh, it's 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 both automation and abstraction in, in how dwatch is is created. But if we over time, I think the community will be will build uh, dwatch style uh, tools for ebpf. And at that point, you can just you know put the output into your monitoring system, and uh, now you have notifications when processes are doing things that they are not supposed to do.
0: Antoinette, mm-hmm. explain at a very high level. Give the elevator pitch for Illuria Security.
2: Right. So Illuria uh, is a uh, cyber deception company. We have a cyber deception product called Profiler X, uh, which is. Uh, honeypots on a steroid that helps you to detect, deceive, and deter the attackers. Um, that's the very high level. On the on the lowest level for the technical for the for the tech folks, um, it, it's it's basically a high interaction honeypots in a, built in a way that not even the honeypot itself knows that it's a honeypot. It's actually pure Unix systems. Uh, running multiple advanced technologies. Uh, so the attacker would never know that this is not a, a production system. And uh, the, 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 um, the security uh, pitch of it is that it's built on two concepts. We give you vulnerable servers and we give you valuable servers, because that's what attackers look for uh, when they are trying to penetrate your network.
1: Uh, can you also do IoT and uh, various different types of devices?
2: A uh, um, good question. Uh, well, uh, uh, right now our system is actually basically pure Unix systems that are running in a chroot style uh, isolation. Yeah. Uh, if, if if those IoT systems are are running on on let's say Linux or or, or the BSDs, uh, we can you know take the binaries and run run it on our systems, or we can also imitate them that they can look the same way. Uh, okay. So, from the attacker point of view, it oh. wouldn't make much of a difference.
1: So, your honeypots aren't aren't able to emulate Windows machines right now. Um, they're mo- Linux, Unix, BSD type machines, uh, but that's yes, fine. That's, I mean, that's what most that's servers wrong. at enterprise companies are anyway, right?
2: Yep. Yep. Uh, one of the beauties of this is that uh, with 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 having a virtual networking on our CH routes, uh, our, our our isolated systems and and using you know um, uh, visibility tools like d trace we are able to see everything coming back and forth so even if the scanner does a simple um, a ping and end map or whatever that they try to do we can see everything in detail also on the process level because you know um, uh, XRDP would not tell you what r- what the RDP password is in the pa- in, in its logs, but we can see it in the process object. So it it goes it 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 goes as deep uh, as the code is written. So we can yeah. So you can emulate services with the whole stack.
0: You can emulate yes, Windows yes. based services, in other words.
2: Yes, right,
0: that's what, that we do. Uh, we do we do emulate SMB. That's well,
2: that's we don't emulate SMB. We run SMB, it SMB, SMB itself. Right. We just right. run Samba. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah, his tech really sucks from an attacker standpoint. Like, it is super disc... There's usually a flag, ways to tell things that we do to, you know, avoid sandboxes, to avoid honey tokens, nuances within inside of either, you know, user attributes or very small nuances uh, around a service or, or how it's interacting with us. The way these guys are running the stuff is, from an attacker standpoint, is truly terrifying. I just can't imagine spending weeks on something that i've just been spending a high amount of time, high interaction and and continually moving forward thinking you've got something going and it just doesn't go anywhere it's great mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'd
1: love to take a lot longer time to discuss the differences between uh, your company and Trapex and elusive and all those guys mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we've, uh, we've, we've uh, had we've uh, had
0: a lot of uh, those conversations josh you just weren't in on them yet but think is probably more than happy way.
1: to chat with you about it <laughs> yeah, Chris, i'd love Chris to honestly to just- it'd be a lot of fun
4: bit and, and kind of get into some of the, the nerdy tech side of this. So this yeah. was a Q&A Chris's, uh, Chris's debut. He, he really wants
0: to talk about it. Chris is Antronix's partner, by the way. We keep mentioning Chris and not saying who he is. <laughs> yeah,
4: everybody knows Chris. Chris
0: from right, Armenia. Chris, like, yeah. like, <laughs> Chris from <"Of> Armenia. <laughs> <laughs> I just have five questions left for you. Are you ready to play five questions with Security Weekly? Yes, sir. So, three words to describe yourself.
2: Uh, curious, terrified always in a war zone I think that's six words
0: (laughs) Yes. if you were a serial killer what would be your weapon of choice Uh, a computer if you wrote a book about yourself what would the title be
2: I have no idea but I'm guessing lucky
0: like just lucky what is your favorite yeah. hacker movie?
2: Uh, this won't sound cheesy, but Hackers. nineteen ninety-five.
0: Yes, Hackers. It's, no, it's, it's a good answer. Yeah. Choose two celebrities to be your parents.
5: Alive, dead, uh, fictional, or otherwise.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I think
2: I, I, I... Paul is one. <gasps>
0: Aww. And he says then the lights go off, of course. Wow. he's angered the gods with that selection
2: yeah Paul is one uh, always been as kind of a father figure uh, but, well no uh, it's because he's old I, I can't tell <laughs> or, or maybe because I'm young but sure let's just keep it because he's old uh, good answer but yeah Paul is one I can't think of anyone else at the moment but I think Tyler will be my brother
0: there you go wow
3: immaculate conception <laughs>
0: wow. <laughs> Anthony, thank you, and thank you very much for appearing on Paul Security Weekly. Merci
2: thank you very much, gentlemen. I will uh, hopefully I will join you again one day. And I thank hope, you for. Hosting I hope so.
0: Me. You better soon. That's it's it. Five a.m. here. Security news coming up next. Stay tuned.